What's up, everybody? Wave out there. The little wavy thing is fun, right? You can wave at the people. You're like, hey, people, I'm waving at you. Which, by the way, is the only, it turns out, uh, completely safe social distancing waving. It turns out it's through Instagram. You don't want to, I mean, you can, you can wave to the people in real life, but if you're only social distanced, uh, right? Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's ridiculous what's going on these days with the lives and the people. I would like to say though, for the record, just for the record here, I was doing lives like this pre-global pandemic. Okay. I was starting to take advantage of the lives pre-global pandemic. I'm not saying that I was the trend starter of it, but I am saying I was doing them beforehand. All right. So welcome into, this is the second time they were doing one of these. If you weren't here for the first one, well, first off, shame on you. That's what are you doing with your lives in a global pandemic? Stay home. You can go over to YouTube and just uh, search uh, Nacho's Glenn, and it's over on the YouTube channel. It's the most recent video that's uploaded, and you can go over there, watch it, get into the business of flower farming, growing plants, doing all of this. And I want to start us off with a. Uh, a bit of a interesting note that I got uh, this afternoon from my friend, Dr. Alan Armitage. And I will say, you know, Alan is wiser than me because he's older than me, right? And he did make a, a, some really good points about the industry. Uh, one of the things I've always appreciated about Alan is he is willing to have a bit of an honest conversation. And he said, you know, obviously economically, this is going to be a huge challenge for a lot of folks, but there'll also be some opportunity on the flip side of it. So just sharing that with everyone that yeah, I talked a lot about this last week, that there is going to be opportunity here. It just depends upon how you want to approach opportunity in the business of plants and cut flowers and what people do. Let's start with, I think, something that has not happened yet to small-scale cut flower. And I could also really move this over to the nursery industry just as equally well. The groups that are out there, some of the, I'll use the finger quote word leadership of people that talk about cut flowers. One thing they don't really focus in on a lot is, you know, what kind of grower are you? Where are we going with this product? And there's a huge difference between being a grower that is trying to primarily supply floral design event work versus market bouquet style work. They're completely different. The product lineup, who you're trying to get your product out in front of is completely different. Let's be honest. If you're working with a more sophisticated designer, you know, a lot of the things that you would traditionally maybe think of as a farmer's market bouquet style, it's just, okay, it's not really my thing. Do you have anything more interesting? What else are you doing? So you got to define that early. And that is something that I've just not seen a lot of people do. Obviously, the path of least resistance on this has been more so on that market bouquet side. The farmer's market bouquet, the mason jar, I make fun of it. We all know it 24-7. Look at that. It's a mason jar. What are you going to do? Throw mason jars at me. You know, we've all heard me say this, okay? But what's important about that distinction is your inputs are going to vary differently as well. If you are going to go 
down this market bouquet path, your inputs, the cost of your product, the cost of your labor, all have to be like super low, super controllable. There's not, and I would hesitate to ever give anybody percentages like there are in other industries on this topic because there's no great model to follow, quite honestly. Mostly, like let's pick on restaurants for a second. Well, restaurants are going to try to run food costs, depending upon the type of restaurant, somewhere between like 20% all the way as high as maybe 40% if it's a high-end restaurant. And that percentage difference is immense, right? So a $100 meal is $40 worth of food product versus $20. That's a massive difference, massive difference. But in the flower world, that doesn't really exist. There aren't a lot of people that have nailed these numbers down to give you this sort of bigger picture of what we're looking at. But what you can look at is things like this. And I had given this plan uh, last year uh, in the winter period as well. And I found it interesting how somewhere out there in the universe, people want to grow the sexy things and maybe not the profitable things for where they are at. And this also gets back to our conversation of last week of brand versus sales and where are you at in the cycle, right? You may be someone who the income that you were maybe anticipating for this year, your family, you are depending upon versus someone who said, you know what? This is a slow burn thing for me. I have other sources of income. I have another job, whatever it might be. I have you know, someone else who's earning an income in my household, whatever that is. Those are very different premises also. And you have to understand that that's going to be a huge difference in what we're going to talk about this evening, right from the get-go. Because if you are in a brand building period, I'm going to give you advice to go down. But if you're in a sales motivated moment right now, you're really going to have to control inputs. This is what we're talking about. So these are the ProCut series of sunflowers. If, if you're not familiar, the varieties range somewhere between about 50 to 65 days to harvest uh, on each one of them. And I bring these up because number one, they're, you know, they're super nice. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with them as a flower. I think in that direct-to-consumer kind of world, they work. Um, you're going to have a little bit of a harder time, I think, on the wholesale marketplace, finding re-wholesalers who would maybe purchase them or even designers. Um, you know, this is not really a flower that leans traditionally, at least, where wholesalers are looking at it for a vent. But if there's daily florists in your area, that might be an outlet. But I think direct-to-consumer is where this product goes. And I bring these up because again, we're talking about ridiculously low inputs. The seeds are two cents a piece when you buy in some volume, 500, 1,000 or more, two cents. There's no input. It's a direct sell. You're the labor. And my thesis that I gave everybody for this in 2019 was... Your game plan should be, let me try to grow 15,000 sunflowers and sell 15,000 sunflowers for a dollar a piece. 
that should be, that should have been people's goals. You know, I know my friend, you know, she talks about a lot of other things and she's getting people to, you know, try to grow things that are a lot more input versus on both product input and also labor input. But I'm telling you people from what I have seen, and I see a lot, there are not many people doing small scale cut flower production that are even selling $15,000 worth of product a year. And this to me is a very realistic approach. Okay. The only downside to this approach is you're going to have to do it from a standpoint of you need more space because it's just more volume a physical volume of plants. The other thing being, you're going to have to have a succession plan, right? We know there are about 55 days to bloom. So we're going to stagger, right? We're going to do about, you know, in my opinion, I would stagger on about a 14 day window. I wouldn't want to overwhelm myself with too many at any one time to harvest. But if you start doing that and you do a prep, a turn, a prep, a turn for most of the country, except in maybe the far northern latitudes, this is easily a, a two succession crop. And you could do a dollar stem pretty easily on the direct to consumer front and go for that as your goal. Like if you're in a win now mode, I need sales. 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 This is it. Like I, I don't see any other reason to do any other thing. We're going to talk about a couple of moving parts of a thesis like this, but I'm going to tell you the inputs are so low on this type of crop. And anybody that wants to go, oh, they're not cutting come again. Well, yeah, they're also not as prone to downy powdery mildews. They're also not as prone to reverting as something like a zinnia is. It's not as high a labor a crop as some of these others are. You know, we are just talking about what I would refer to in agriculture as turn and burn. That's what this is. This is a turn and burn crop. We, we, we sow, we harvest, we cut. We turn, we do it again. We cut, we harvest, we sow, we do it again. Easy. And you can buy 25,000 seeds for $567. You know, I know, you know, because I'm on the opposite side of this with my business, right? Like I'm not sunflower because number one, I have brand. Number two, I have me. And this is something that just doesn't get talked about. And this is a good moment to bring this up. I'm good at this. I'm good at sales. I'm good at marketing. I'm good at branding. I'm good at communications. These were my strengths well before I was doing anything commercially here with Cut Flowers. That may not be your strength. That's fine. Then that's fine. You may be in a sales mode now moment. You may not be at brand building. You may not be there. You may need to generate $10,000 this year and not worry about that other thing. It's hard to do both, people. It's hard to do both. If you're new to cut flowers, if you're new to horticulture, if you're new to floriculture, and you're new to business, at the same exact time, it's a lot to ask of any person. I wasn't, right? I'm in a very unique position. So... A lot of times there's stories behind some of these Instagram popular accounts that people see 
that haven't been told real publicly. And, and I know some of them, and I'm not even going to go there. But there's reality here, right? There's reality here for people. It's real different if you have somebody in your family that gives you essentially like seed money, like big money maybe to start a farm. It's really different. That's not most people's scenarios. So when you see some of these other people and they're doing roses or dahlias or those type of inputs, keep that in mind, right? That may not be you. There may be way more to that circumstance than they're being honest in telling you. And I wish a lot of these people would share some of those stories. You know, if if Jeff Bezos is your uncle, maybe you should say something, right? I'm not saying that's the case, but just say that, right? Let that out there. Let people know. Give people a little bit of backstory on what you're doing because growing things like this would be awesomely fun. Who's not down with that, right? You grow 15,000 sunflowers. You do them on a successional rotation. I would break them up into about 750 increments. To me, that's where I would be I would be at. I would be like, how many sunflowers can my market absorb per harvest, right? If I'm doing 10 in a bunch, can I sell 75? Can I do that? Can I sell 75 bunches in a week? I'd reach out to my wholesalers right now. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you reach out to a wholesaler today in your market, or even probably a daily florist or designer, you're going to hear two things. Number one, panic. Number one, panic. And number two, you may get pushback. So again, approach, slide a DM. Slide a quick DM. If you know the people in your area, slide a quick DM. If you haven't talked to these folks before, send a DM that goes something like this. Hey, my name is Bob. I want to grow these beautiful sunflowers this year. Would you have any interest in them at a dollar a stem? That's it. Thanks, Bob. That's all. Quick DM. Boop. Send. Wait, goes. Don't overthink it, people. In the sales game, it's about numbers, right? Just send them. Send them. Send them. Send them. Send them. You don't care. You don't overthink. Then that at least gives you that. And also keeping in mind, you can go direct to consumer. That's that's really your fallback plans, is that. The other thing, that's a really good comment too. If you have scale, you can open yourself up to photo sessions, right? I do a lot of photo sessions here, okay? It's a different aesthetic, obviously, than a sunflower field. But you have volume that gets you to that point. Now, keep in mind, the best way to do this is to really pre-book that because what you don't want to do is have the opportunity of a photo session and then the fields aren't in bloom and then that photographer gets salty with you and they throw like a Canon lens cap at you. That's not good. Nobody wants that, okay? But you also have photo session opportunities. The big thing I would say is the dollar stem thing, I, 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 would, I would really hold to, would really hold to. Unless somebody is willing to just like absorb all of your crop and I seriously doubt that's going to happen to anyone. Um, if it does, let me know. But that's one of the big things. You know, you can't do that. You can't do that. You, you can't put yourself in a position where you're losing that revenue from somebody with a sunflower field. And you're like, they're like, where's all the sunflowers? So don't do that. 
the other big advice with this I would give for inputs is you've got to start really paying attention to days to turn a crop over, okay? Like this was the example I'm going to use for everybody as well. This is another one that's a little under the radar for folks, which is lilies. So both Asiatic lilies and Orient petal lilies are readily available. I'm going to throw this out here. It's the first time I'm going to say it. I'm going to repeat it again. The grower side of this industry, uh, as far as the supply side of it, is going to be maybe the most impacted by this. The people that import lilies, the people that import dahlias on that bigger scale supply side, they're probably going to be in a lot of trouble. Uh, some of them in particular are based up in the Northeast. It's going to be very difficult for them to move product around. Some of their biggest accounts are also in that part of the country. A lot of pressure, right? A lot of pressure. Uh, to this date, Massachusetts still doesn't have a full travel ban, um, but Connecticut does, New Jersey does, New York State does, so they're all at non-essential travel. California is clearly at non-essential travel, is only at essential travel. And to let you know, a lot of these big suppliers we talk about, they supply to large greenhouse growers on the West Coast too, right? People, they're somehow become like a little bit of a feeling like they only supply to small scale folks. And that's not true at all. And the key here on something like lilies is the four weeks, the turnaround time on them again, right? The turnaround time, the turnaround time, the turnaround time, the turnaround time. And that is such a big, big challenge is you don't want to get yourself, and I see a lot of people do it at local scale, where they just have these big gap zones in what they have to sell, and then they have oversaturation, okay? So they go from like a feast or famine mode. They have nothing, and then they have a lot. They have nothing, and then they have a lot. You don't want that. You got to stay consistent with it, mostly because your market may not be able to absorb that much anyways. I'll use myself as an example here. In 2018, I went just all out to get the max production out, right? So we planted an insane amount of dahlias. We're at 7,500 plus tubers in production. We're at 200 plus roses in production. And by the time I get to late June, I'm harvesting about 700 stems a day. This market can't absorb 700 stems a day. That's 4,000 stems a week. Okay? So you don't want to be at that place either on a very specific crop. You don't want to be producing the sunflowers at this massive scale number, 2,000 a week, where your market's not absorbing it. And they're just going to waste for you, right? That's wasted labor input. So you want to make sure that you're staggering in numbers that work. Nice thing about Lily, they do store in a cooler situation. So if you have one, they store in there pretty well, maybe a little bit of sulfur powder just to help keep the fungal monster away from things. That's really useful. But the force weeks is the big goal here that you can identify. It's going to take this plant 10 weeks to bloom, 12 weeks to bloom, just like with the sunflowers on the 50-day, 60-day. Some are very high side, 75. But you could know those numbers going in and you can you need to sit down and plan that out. I think I can sell 300 a week. Well, okay, if I sell 300 a week, I need to do an offset based upon my days to harvest 
where I have that. Now, again, it's not exact science. Also, sunflowers are pretty close. That Pro Cut series is pretty close to being really, really reliable. Also, keep it in mind, your spacing on crops like that is going to impact the actual flower size on something like sunflowers and stalks. You can go very tight, though, which is the nice thing about it as well. It's a little bit more forgiving with that. So I would urge everybody to pause. Like, Just pause where you're at, right? We're all staying at home. You know, just pause, sit down. Where are you at? If you're at that sales moment, the sunflower successional plan is really strong for you. The great thing about it is if the whole thing goes sideways, right? The whole thing goes sideways, you're $500, $200 out, and that's it. Now, the other thing you've done is learned a tremendous amount about your marketplace in that meantime. You've reached out to the wholesalers. You've seen what the feedback from them is. You yourself have seen what your retail feedback is. It gives you a lot of flexibility without the risk of inputs. You know, just to put this on a comp for a second, right? Let's go comp here. I have a Dahlia order that is coming wholesale, which I believe is about 800. Well, I'll give you an easier number. Uh, I have one order that's coming. It's 400 of one particular variety. And that cost me 700 bucks, right? Uh, throw a little freight in, maybe it's around 750. So 25,000 seeds, 25,000 plants cost $567. You know, so as sexy as that Dahlia might sound to people, the input's high comparatively, okay? If you're not at that brand stage yet, and if you're not at a place where you're working with designers in any kind of cohesive kind of way, and quite honestly, very few people around the country even are, uh, that, that's its own hodgepodge conversation for another time. But, you know, don't get too fancy, like in a real literal way. Like I see this going on and I'm just like, you, you know, there's no reason why you should not be excited to grow some of these things. Like you really, you would learn way more for like a $700 investment than the people who I see posting things who are like, I'm $250,000 investing in cut flowers and we're still not turning a profit yet. What? I mean, be still my heart. I mean, are you, are, are, are you being for real right now? Like, how are we that far into this? How are we a quarter of a million dollars invested and we're not turning profit yet? Like, you know, th there was a term that showed up and someone said it to me uh, last year. And let me just throw this at you for a moment. If anybody ever wants to throw the term at you, bootstrapping something, uh, that's not bootstrapping. That's called bad investing. That's what that's called, bad investing. If you're a quarter of a million dollars in with no profit return yet. And I've seen this narrative several times floated out there. A quarter of a million dollars. And you're not returning profit yet. And you're in year three or four. That's incredible to me. Like, seriously, incredible. So you've really got to stop 
if, if, you know, if you know somebody that's in that space, you know, tell them to stop. I mean, have an intervention for God's sakes. Uh, it's just really bad on so many levels. And I think the other thing that we're going to, we're going to turn here to in a second is this methodology is going to give you all the insight that that person who spent a quarter of a million dollars is, you know, for all the people who are building hoop houses and for all the people that are building greenhouses and saying how much they love building greenhouses and how greenhouses and greenhouses, you know, I'll be real with you. You people don't make enough money to do it. I'll be real. You don't, you don't, you don't, you don't make enough money to do it. Chill. You're not at that place. You know, you may want the Tesla S, but you're probably going to have to settle for the five-year-old Kia. Like, that's just facts. There is not a market space here. There's not a market space here that shows a model of success doing that. There's just not. The person that everybody points to doesn't farm flowers. She farms flower farmers. That's where her money came from. Okay, kids? Let's be real about it. Let's be real about it. The money didn't come from selling flowers. The money came from selling courses. Now, There is something here that is a projection. And I think like any business owner, any business owner, regardless of our current global health crisis, our current economic crisis, all of those things, okay, regardless of them, you have to make decisions on if you're betting short or if you're betting long, okay? Betting short, betting long. Are we betting this is going to be a short subject? Are we betting this is going to be a long subject? If you're betting short, you're growing sunflowers, right? If you're betting short, we need money in the moment, we're growing sunflowers. We're doing that. We're going with it. Boom, 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 boom. Sunflower successionally planted. We have a $567 investment. We've got 25,000 potential plants. We're going to do all of that, okay? Now, there's a real developing thing that we really won't know. To this date that we're recording this, which is on March 24th, if you're listening to this in the future or watching this in the future, currently, florist, floral designers, warehouses are considered essential in the states of California and the states of New York and are allowed to still conduct business. If that was to change, it could potentially interrupt the supply chain of many of the re-wholesalers and California-based growers, okay? And this is just real talk. This is business talk. This is why we're here. I know a lot of those folks. I like a lot of those folks, but I'm going to tell you this. If something interrupts that supply chain and you are not in one of those areas of the country, right? You're in a a part of the country that maybe is less impacted by this global crisis, economic crisis, that interruption in the supply chain might also be advantageous to you. And that is regardless 
of if you grow high-end flowers for designer or if you grow awesome sunflowers for more market direct-to-consumer bouquet. If those supply chains out of California and New York are interrupted, there may be an opportunity there for you to have people in your area who suddenly the tap on flowers has dried up a tap. Maybe. This is a maybe. This is a to-be-determined type of topic. DV Flora up in New Jersey has shut down what they're doing. Some of the California growers have shut down what they're doing. Some of the distribution out of Florida who moves product that comes in from Miami then goes other places have also limited the travel that they're offering now compared to what it was just 45 days ago. Okay? Now, on the flip side, we've also had the consumer demand dry up at the same exact time, so it hasn't mattered, right? You with me, kids? Thumbs up if you're with me. We understand this. The supply chain's having huge issues, but there's no demand in the market space, so it's not really a problem, okay? It's not really doing anything. Consumer demand is down and the supply chain is down, so there's no thing for you to take advantage of at all, right? The demand is low. The supply chain is broken. Ugh, not much. Now, if you're in one of these parts of the country where that changes, that changes, right? You're, you're in Montana. You're in West Virginia. You're in an area of the world where the chain is, you know, it's fine. People are going back to sort of a daily routine kind of thing. New York, California, these states that are considered the more, I'm not even going to use the words, but the, where they have more of the issues, then you may have something, okay? So you have to know that market. Sending, if you're in one of those areas, a quick little DM to your local wholesaler, local floral designers tomorrow is like a must-do. If you're in one of these areas more impacted, maybe show a little restraint. Now, I'm going to say that, and then I'm going to say this, okay? Because we just got to have, you never put blinders on. You never put the blinders on. We're always wide open perspective. Now, there's also something here that nobody ever talks about in this lane because, you know, if you did, you'd sell less courses and less people would sign up for your associations and things like that. I get it, sure. But South American flowers, Colombia and Ecuador, more and more and more and more and more have been trying to sell directly to wholesale customers and designers and daily florist shops, people like that. They have made a real effort of it over the last 36 months. Look at the amount of well-known floral designers you see giving shout-outs to places like Alexandra Farms in Columbia. Okay? And that's just the truth. It's not a knock against Alexandra Farms. I see some of the roses they grow. They have the David Austin license for South America. They do a great job with that, it seems. But you see they've made a lot of direct connections with influential floral designers. And the reason why they've done that is they're more and more interested in going directly to floral designers and not through these re-wholesalers that we're saying are part of the supply chain, right? And they can sometimes ship direct FedEx to the designer. So from Columbia, FedExed to the end designer. 
So there's that too. Now, that is more of a design event product. So when we get back to the very beginning of this conversation, which are you, right? If you're an end consumer product, market bouquet style, you're doing the sunflower thing, Alexandra Farm sending people David Austin uh, licensed roses doesn't really impact you much anyways. But if you're someone who's trying to do a more premium level of flower that is more designer centric, that's something just to keep out, keep an eye on. And I'm always a big believer, as we can all tell, in transparency, that that's something that you can really ask. You know, ask your designers, ask them. If you work with people, say, hey, are are you ever buying directly from any South American growers? Like, have you gone there? Have you done that? Has that been a thing for you? You know, ask people. The more you know about their business, you know, people have this weird thing where they're like, oh, I don't want to ask people because, you know, that's up to them. Oh, you know, I don't want to intrude on what? Ask. Ask. You know, you've got to look at what you do more as a partnership than a one-sided thing. You know, if you had a partner in a relationship and you didn't know how much money they had in a bank or you found out they had a separate banking account, I mean, would you be a little unnerved by it? Yeah. Yeah, you can ask. You can ask. The person who comes and buys an awesome sunflower bouquet from you, them you don't ask. That's just weird. But if you're in a wholesale relationship with someone, you should find out who are they buying from? Who are they sourcing from? Do it like that. Hey, who do you buy from? That's it. Easy. Ask the question. That's all. Let's jump over to this. This is something that we talked a little bit about in relationship to the sunflowers and the time. And now we're going to change hats because I wanted to give you, because I already sort of touched on this, and we're going to take some questions here at the end. So if anybody has questions, I'm going to save about a 10-minute period here at the end. Write your questions down now, people. Get your questions out. At the end of this, I'm going to save like 10 minutes, and we're going to knock out some Q&A. The other opportunity here, and I mentioned it with Lily, could also present itself with some other plants. The supply side on the nursery end might be just overwhelmed with product uh, that doesn't go out. Uh, I don't know if I can express to you (laughs) how big the New Jersey market and the New York market are for the nursery industry. They are immense. If Pennsylvania went to only essential travel allowed over the next 14 days, you would take the three, the top three markets for states away from the nursery industry for a prolonged period of time heading into spring, right? Which is their sales window. And I'm bringing up the nursery industry here because a lot of the plant suppliers, let's they sell to them too, right? They're not just maybe selling to you as like a small scale person. They're relying on some of those large nurseries to buy in thousands of products, not just like 20. And if that happens, the supply chain is really going to have issues, okay? Really have issues. That corridor from the DC area upward 
represents about 70% of the total sales minus California. Because California has always had a very specific ecosystem when it comes to nursery production because they have different rules as far as what can come in, what can go out of the state. It's one of the reasons why most of the growing is in Oregon. Oregon doesn't have as restrictive policies by their Department of Agriculture as California does. So product comes in and out of the state of Oregon much easier than it does California. So if that is to happen, what will suddenly be out there are a lot of wholesale suppliers who are going to be trying to figure out ways to get plants out there. Okay, And again, we're, t- we're taking about this from a business perspective, right? Do I have a lot of friends in that industry? Do I have a lot of people I know in that industry? Absolutely. But we also have to look at it as a business owner. Anybody that's impacted by this on a business perspective, it stinks. But the people that are really impacted by this are people that are impacted by it on a personal perspective. Your business can recover. You can take out loans. There's things you can do. But if you have a family member who's impacted by this virus, you know, can't buy health people. We all know this, right? So when we talk about this, we're just talking about it from a business perspective. What we're seeing here is an intersectional peony. This is Bart Zella. I wanted to use Barzella as an example because this is something that might occur. If you're in this for the long game, the long game, you don't need to make the $10,000 this year, right? You're at a place where you feel like, you know, I'm just sort of building what I'm doing here. I'm figuring it out, maybe building brand. Uh, Maybe I have the potential to sell high end. Plants like this are normally expensive wholesale. They're expensive. You know, they can be as high as 20 bucks, as low as like 15. But I can tell you there was a time where I was offered these plants. This is just full transparency for business, right? This is on the wholesale side, being willing to commit to decent volume of per plant. I was one time offered this plant for $5, okay? For three to five root divisions on it. That day might come again soon because of the issues I explained. And if you're in this for the long game and you're financially in a position where you have some flexibility, again, there might be some opportunity there to get some plants that in the past, maybe they don't even make sense in a pricing structure. They just don't make sense. This plant at $25, just to give you an example, right? So uh, this is another thing people need to do just a little bit better of a job of in figuring out. And I'll pull a few of these up for you so you can see it. So this is indicating the finish time in the highlighted box. And there's a couple of these if that doesn't show up well enough for you. But there's a couple of ways to look at this. As a independent garden center, sometimes you'll bring in these bare root products or bulbs or whatever it might be, even plugs. And then you want to look at the finish time. How long is it going to take me to grow this little plant till I think it would be impressive enough to sell to somebody who walks in my doors? Like here's an example for echinacea. So on the 72 count plug of echinacea, what we're really saying is that plant needs to vernalize on a 72 count, which a 72 count vernalizing would mean it has to go through a cool period. Okay. So buying a 72 count plug of something today isn't really going to help me till next year. Where if I had this in a grade one bare root, and I know that uh, I'm 
actually blocking a little bit of, but I'll fill in the blanks here for you that you can't see. That if I bought it as a grade one bear root, it would actually finish out in eight to 12 weeks. So even on some of these plants, on the Baptisia rather, these might be plants that this year, you maybe didn't think you something you could afford in the past that suddenly is available at lower prices. And if you buy the right sizes, you might even be able to get some production out of it this year. So again, you know, when we see massive supply chain breakdown, there are going to be opportunity pockets. Like if you're a small grower in a particular area of the country that isn't as impacted by what's going on. If you're a grower in any part of the country that can bet a little long and has got some financial flexibility in what you're doing to get some things that maybe in the past didn't make sense. You know, I think the, the best example of that is clearly something like the intersectional peonies. You know, they don't make a lot of sense, people. And though I've seen a lot of people, you know, this is a thing too. This is maybe explaining why some of these people are over a quarter million dollars into this and haven't made money yet. Oh, I bought salmon etched. I bought lemon chiffon, peonies, two, three root starts. Oh, how much did you pay for those? I paid $55 each for them. It's a four-year crop. Why are you paying $55 for something? It won't have cuttable stems for almost four years. How many did you buy? Oh, 20. So you invested like $1,600 in a, what, what do you think this is? Right? And that's why I had said in our previous week, you know, any kind of ag of any kind, right? And that's what this is, right? I mean, floriculture is agriculture. Agriculture is horticulture, yada, yada, yada. Is volatile. It's volatile. Pre, pre-global pandemic, right? It's volatile. What happens if you buy all those peonies and then suddenly the frost monster cometh right when they're at bud and they're gone? They're gone from that having very little to do with pandemic and having way more to do with weather. So you got to never lose sight of that original input. And I will say, and I know a lot of people do it and it's cool and it's fun. And I'm not ever discouraging you from buying plants from anywhere. But I will say, I see a lot of people buying stuff retail. And I think people just don't sit down with pen and paper. And if you're doing this as a business and I'm a little bit like, okay, you bought, I saw this last week. Okay. So I saw it. Uh, I bought eight Pyaris Japonicas and those cost me $30 a piece. That's 240 bucks. Depending upon the state that I live in, you know, somewhere around people will be, will be middle of the road and call it 15 bucks. That's $255. Let me tell you kids for $255, I can buy a lot more than that. A lot more, like a lot more, a lot more. Even there are ways creatively to source some of those plants, okay? The thought process that I think is also just a fallacy, because again, certain people have wanted there to be a perception that there was some kind of curtain up. If you have a nursery license, a tax ID number, a business license from your state, from your county, and you're willing to make minimum order requirements, you can buy 
wholesale from a lot of people. In many places, the minimums are not crazy. So, you know, I I can tell you that $250 number would meet a lot of the minimums that I'm aware of from a lot of places. And in particular, if this current situation is at play and it does interrupt their supply chain on the nursery side of it, right? They're going to be wanting to get rid of plants. Some of them are talking about selling directly to consumers retail even. So yeah, they'd love for you to drop a $250 order with them to get rid of some plants potentially if that happens. So start to look at it a little bit differently. Don't lose sight that that initial input. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people. I mean, what are we talking about? Are we talking about plugs? Are we talking about bulb? Like, what are we talking? Give give me more. Give me more. We'll lead into the questions a little bit with this. Um, You know, now again, this is something some people will do, and I think it's just ridiculous. Part of sometimes minimums is also minimum of a particular plant, right? So like my bare root plant supplier, I have to take 25 of one plant. Well, yeah, duh. They're not retail. They don't sell onesie twosies, right? Like it, they'll, they will actually sell you just one box flat of just 25 of just one thing. That's all you have to order. Most of the plug growers, uh, the highest minimum I'm aware of, I want to say it's a uh, Rita Raker, I believe, um, yeah, I, you know, again, on plugs, I don't do perennials from plugs. I do perennials from bare roots. On bare roots, it's it's like Walter's Gardens and twice on Sunday and tell them I sent you if you're a good customer. If you're a bad customer, don't mention my name. But if you're a good customer, mention my name. Uh, yeah, Walter's Gardens is 25 is the minimum of a plant. Uh, bare root G1's rate anywhere. I mean, it, very affordable, very affordable. For that $255, just to give you a, a ballpark, there, there'd be two plants that you could buy in for that, right? So you could source 50 very large, just to give you an idea, right? Because I have them up, right? Because we have all the photos, people. So this would be, and these are actually, the Astilbe are small by standards. Um, these would be Astilbe, bare root starts right? Bare roots, not even starts. These are like 16 month old plants. So this is what I'm talking about. You'd buy 25 of one variety and you could do that with a steel bee and an echinacea. And now you've got 50, 25 of the steel bee, 25 of the echinacea, which, uh, yeah, guess what people is a lot more than 10 salmon etched. Like, again, you know, what are, what's our goal here? Like, what's our goal? Who, who the hell are we selling these things to? Do you think there's a floral design community that is educated enough to know that Salmon Ash costs $55 for a 2-3-I root start? Do you think that exists? It doesn't. It doesn't. What are you going to sell that per stem for? You've got 55 bucks in the plant. You've got three years of labor and fertilization on the plant. You're probably minimum. minimum. I mean, I'm going to be, you know, cheap and say we're over four years. We're only investing $3 a year because we're really efficient. Let's say we're at 70 bucks invested in that plant. 
And what in your in the first year that it'll be like really harvestable? You know, it's not like peonies are the most floriferous plant on earth, people. They're not. They're not. Go talk to the folks up in Alaska. Go listen to the podcast. Okay. Maybe in that fourth year, you get six stems. You got 70 bucks invested over in the plant. It's gonna, it still has reoccurring cost. And you didn't buy one. What are you selling them for? What, are they, what do you think? They're $7 stems? You're nuts. You're out of your mind. Bro, I, I have said to designers, dahlias are $2 a piece and their eyes have glazed over. Like I told them they were $2 million. Is it that much? Yeah, they're two, they're two dollars. That's that's two one dollar bills. They're like, how much for a petal? Can I take a petal of cafe au lait, Steve? How much would you charge me for a petal of cafe au lait? Would you charge me less than two dollars if I took a petal? How about I just take a photo with it and I don't actually leave with it? Is there a price for that? People, people. Get to know your market a little. Get to know the industry of flowers a little bit. Okay? Just a tad. Just a tad, right? So here is another subject. Then we're going to go into questions for a second. Definitely shop around. You know, I I think uh, sunflowers, Johnny Select Seeds is a good source for that. Um, You know, Harris Seeds is pretty good. Geo Seeds, if you're doing volume, their availability is always shifting. But I would say those three, Harris, Geo, Johnny's in no particular order. I have no affiliation with any of them. In fact, I don't grow anything from seed. It makes my head hurt and I would never do it because I would be frustrated by the fact I wouldn't have a highly functional, giant expensive greenhouse, but I'm spoiled because that's the world I came from. So, all right, people, if you have questions, start throwing them out. I'd like to give you some time to sort of put your questions and thoughts out there if you have them now, and I'll keep sort of just moving through if we don't, or if we do, just taking us up to the full one hour mark here. But uh, when it comes to plugs, you know, I, I think, uh, the, going back to the earlier question, I don't do perennials from plugs unless it's something I can't source otherwise. So an example of that would be like hellebore, right? And hellebore are more expensive than many other perennials, just even at the, the plug stage. What I have seen is people buying, and this is just, again, this is ridiculous, but whatever you do, you. People who buy hellebores at a 72 plug count. People, do you know how long it takes a 72 count plug hellebore to bulk and produce flowers? Uh, like three years. Because let me let me give you a bit of a metric, right? And this is not apples to apples, but it's close. Field production versus greenhouse production. Greenhouse production is the legitimate steroid of plants, right? Everything's faster. Everything's faster. They're at the perfect temperatures. They're getting daily fertilization. We're pushing those plants to get big. We're doing everything. We're doing everything. So the difference between a 72 and a 20 is really big. Like literally. Really a big difference. And I know for everybody, and maybe it's it's that it's that thing of that crossover where you go, well, Steve, you just said sunflowers were two cents a plant. And now we're looking at a plant that's like five, six, seven bucks, maybe wholesale even per plant. Different businesses. No, I, 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 are, 
Are you talking about, oh, you're talking about the dude in West Virginia? Is that who we're talking about? The Helleborg guy? I think that's what you're talking about. Sunshine Farms, West Virginia, calls himself the Helleborg King. Is that who we're talking? Oh, what's his name? Oh, I forget his name. Mm, I think that's who we're talking about. Well, yeah, uh, let me, I'll, I'll hit one, then we'll hit the other. Uh, I have, uh, don't like them. Uh, not upright. Uh, stems resemble more Helleborus orientalis. Uh, and again, uh, I think you're, you're not getting a crop that's going to finish in the kind of timeline versus investment that I want. Uh, for Hellebores at this moment, I think for me, the Walter's Garden series for a, a nodding double from Wedding Series is like a no-brainer. Then it's Gold Series and Frost Kiss Series. And there's a lot of people that are doing those as plugs. Uh, North Creek is doing them. Creek Hill is doing them. Uh, James's Greenhouse is doing them. I mean, a lot of people are doing them uh, because they're good in production. Like, that's the other thing, right? And they're good in production. Therefore, they're good as cut flowers. So, you know, I, I'll just say this. The reason why I pause people is because that particular place I knew was promoted by another particular person in the Pacific Northwest. And when I saw it happen, I was sort of like, huh? Why is that our recommendation? Uh, when the sunflowers are off season, do we, do we mean like dormant season, Trisha? Or like I would successionally plant, right? Like I would successionally plant. So I'd always have at least, you know, depending upon again, that market space, 750 up a thousand up at a time, always going. So I'd have, you know, pretty decent sized rows going of them throughout the year. I'm just going to stagger it enough where we're not harvesting all at one time, right? Does this make sense to everybody? We don't want to plan out 10,000 at a time, right? We want to break it up, do 500, 700. You know, if you do 500 at a time, even just quick math, you know, on the 5,000 numbers, you know, we're breaking that up into 10. So maybe we're staggering it like with a seven day planting stagger, you know, figuring out that. And then we're going to keep jumping. So we'd always have something going. And like where you're at, you could turn right around and when we're harvesting, we're re-sowing. So then as you're always in succession because you'd be able to get easily to rotations on them from that pro. And again, the pro cut series is one of the keys there. You know, that series is the most reliable when it comes to the actual timeline, which is hugely important. It's usually important that the timeline, the, the days to harvest is consistent with it. Okay. And let me also throw this out there because I know a lot of people just, it's a whole thing. Um, if you ever need help with sourcing, feel free just to shoot me a DM and be like, Hey, is there a good place for this? You know, I don't always like to say it publicly. Like when I'm just doing Instagram, like Q and A's and things like that. Cause sometimes the growers get a little weird. Um, you know, things like that. Yeah. If you're talking about something on, yeah, non sunflower. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I think it really depends upon what we're doing. You know, if I'm just going for retail work, 
There's not a lot of great early annual plants that have low inputs. There's just not. You know, anemone aren't that, ranunculus aren't that, tulips aren't that. And then you jump over to something like daffodil, which is a little bit lower, but it's perennial. So, you know, I do think there is just, you know, unless we're going to do a fall planted crop, it's a little different. You know, if you're in a zone where you can get away with something like an overwintered snapdragon, but you're going to be pretty moderate, you know, you can do that. But I do think there's also some semblance of saying, do we have to have those? Like, do we have to? You know, everybody always says to me, they're like, actually, I had several requests today on the wholesale side, ironically. And they're like, do you have flowers yet? I'm like, nope. It never stresses me out. Right? Like, I, I, you know, sitting here in March, I get I get sort of a kick out of it because I see other people in my area and I think they get a little bit of, you know, they get a bit a little full of themselves. You ever seen a flower grower get full of themselves on a subject when they have flowers? And they have things now, right? And in my opinion, they have things too early. Even non-global pandemic talk. I don't know what the rush is to have flowers in March in high tunnels or heat a greenhouse production. I don't know what massive opportunity you think you're capitalizing on. You know, that's something to me that I would just be like, meh on. You know, I wouldn't be that pressured to have it. You know, I'd lean into the things that make sense to me economically. I wouldn't let the calendar pressure me. Make sense? I'm not going to let the calendar tell me what to do. Uh, last question. Gardening, best all evergreen hedging other than arborvitae. Uh, removed invasive tree of hell. <laughs> now need to hide from my neighbors. Okay. Okay. Uh, full sun? Full sun? Full sun? If it's full sun, I mean, I'm going to give you what I like because that's how I roll, people. I don't care about what you like. I like what I like. Um, <laughs> for me, uh, if we don't like arborvitae, and that look, I love uh, Picea orientalis as a hedge. I think that's awesomely nice. Another one that's very cool, very, 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 very good hedging plant, actually, that nobody ever uses is Cedrus Atlantica Hortsman, Hortsman, Hortsman Nursery in Germany. Uh, blue Atlas cedar, very tight, very dense, beautiful plant very broad, could totally be used as a hedge. I mean, I could always turn you into the Ilex direction for hollies, but you know, to me, Ilex, I don't know, you've seen one Ilex, you've seen them all. If you're into the flower game, maybe the berries on them are okay. But I would also give you the recommendation that when you buy a holly or buy Ilex, I would always lean bigger if you can do it, just because small Ilex are slow. It's just the way it goes. It's a slow plant. You get a little baby, it's going to take seven, eight years just for it to turn into anything. Don't cheap out if it's a hedge. Go all the way, right? And that's even pre-global pandemic. I would give the same recommendations. Same recommendations. But those three, evergreen, awesome. Also, don't you know totally discourage doing a deciduous hedge too, right? There's things you can do there. All right, kids, make sure to join back next week. We may go to these twice a week because it's a fluid situation. You know what I mean? Fluid, fluid.
boy, you son of I walk the cross ties of these old abandoned rails Wondering about the stories they could tell I think of all the weight I carry on my own And I try to empathize with all they bear There's something about the sun that brings me back to life It's just like staring in your eyes And I can't tell you what it is I'm doing here All I know is nothing's felt so right So let me stay Feeling this way I never want to leave this state of for you 